0: Join me! You may be able to help solve a mystery. Hi, Athena. Hello, Chandra. Welcome to another episode of You Solved a Mystery, a podcast where we delve into segments of the iconic Unsolved Mysteries and reveal the final chapter. And if we sound exactly the same, just a reminder, it's because we're twins. Once again, we're just going to dive straight into the story. I'm not a very good swimmer. I know, but <laughs> it's okay. Okay. I won't let you down. So, this was from special number five, once again hosted by Robert Stack, and it aired on February 5th, 1988. But let's go back to May 11th, 1987. Police are called to an empty service station in Michigan. Inside, they find the safe open and two people missing. A courier for an oil company named Elmer de boer who was carrying approximately $10,000 and the teenage assistant manager missy monday the next day elmer's body is found in a marshy field 20 miles away let's jump back a little bit farther to april 17th 1986 16-year-old missy monday had left home for school and never returned a year later she's implicated in elmer's murder along with a man who may have conned her or kidnapped her now missy's family seeks answers and elmer's seeks justice in 1985 melissa monday who everyone called missy was a normal 15-year-old girl living in boonsboro a small town in maryland And when I say small town, I mean like 2,000 people in the entire town. So very small. Itty bitty. Her mother, Phyllis Monday, described her as shy and responsible. It sounds like she pretty much did whatever her mother expected. She wasn't much of a rebel. Missy was involved in her church, played basketball, and was a member of Future Homemakers of America. According to Vice Principal Harlan Kearns, she was also in the top 10% of her class. I have some questions about the future homemakers of America, but my hope is just either that it's antiquated or not what I would expect it to be in the modern day. I actually looked it up, and I don't remember what it's called now, but it's changed its name, and it's all about, like, empowering youth to be ready to go into business. So it's dropped a lot of its gender binary bullshit. (laughs) Okay. It's had to grow with the times. Yeah. I don't know that it's, I don't know that I can vouch for it or anything, but it's definitely changed. All right. Getting youth ready for the business world, I guess, isn't the worst thing ever. They're all going to need to know how to run their Etsy accounts or whatever (laughs) gig job that they're working since... The actual job market is kind of trash and we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm maybe thinking a little too much about this now and we should go back to the story. All right, let's do that before we spiral out of control (laughs) into the void. (laughs) Phyllis Monday and Missy's father, Robert, could never have imagined that their quiet teenage daughter would be swept away by a man and find herself neck deep in murder. But in 1985, a man named Jerry Strickland came to Boonesboro. In the Unsolved Mysteries segment, they stated that he was 35, but according to his birth date, he was actually 10 years younger than that, so he was actually 25, Hmm. which was a pretty big error, but I looked it up multiple times. Even in a newspaper article, he was listed as being 10 years younger than Unsolved Mysteries said, so I'm going based on his birth date that I found... On the prison website, with okay. being 25 at the time. I would like to think that their records were accurate, yeah. but you can never really know in our It's possible system. he was um, trying to present himself as being older when he arrived in town. Mm. Because when he arrived in town, he was claiming that he was looking for a property that he could turn into an orphanage. Yep. Yeah who's going to believe a 25-year-old weirdo is showing up in town to open an orphanage? So. I don't believe that a 35-year-old weirdo is showing up in a town looking to open an orphanage. I guess I just sort of don't expect people to be wanting to open up orphanages because I don't expect people to want to help other people. I might be a little bit jaded. I'm getting help. But it it just seems very implausible in general. It's also like a david davis type lie isn't it like so grandiose so self-serving oh yeah definitely like trying to get other people on his side with his lie yeah according to a vice article strickland approached the mondays about renting or buying a house from them phyllis told unsolved mysteries she didn't care for strickland she felt he was a smooth talker and untrustworthy Missy, on the other hand, was smitten. As a producer for Unsolved Mysteries, Emily Berry told the Washington Post, quote, from there, he worked his way into her life, end quote. In the episode, Robert Stack calls it a fatal attraction, and I just want to say a huge nope to that. (laughs) Big nope. Nope. Missy began sneaking out of the house to see Strickland. He told her that his wife and child had died in a car crash. He gave Missy a ring that she told her parents she'd bought for herself. Her friends, a couple of whom were interviewed for the segment, noticed he gave her a lot of attention and gifts, and she enjoyed that. Tammy Sipes told Unsolved Mysteries that she would stay out late with him, then lie that she had been with a friend. Her friends helped her keep the relationship a secret by saying she was with them when she was actually with Jerry. And when they talk to Unsolved Mysteries, they kind of half-smile and shrug their shoulders like they think it was cool, or like they think it was a funny thing that they helped the friend do. And far be it for anyone to try to tell a teen anything, but there's a reason your friends aren't supposed to be sneaking around with 25-year-old boyfriends, so please do be a snitch. <laughs> snitch on him. Yeah, um, uh, one of her friends was talking about how she said that... She didn't like anybody in her family, and he got her away from her family. Mm -hmm. But that just sounds like really normal teenage things to me, like just being a teenager, being hormonal, being angry. It doesn't mean that an adult should help you run away from your family. Uh, Adults who help a normal, healthy teen going through normal shit run away from their family is called a pedophile. Yeah, it's like I said so much of what you just said in my notes that I've pre-written here. So I'm glad (laughs) we're on the same page and we're seeing this through the same lens. According to the article on Medium, Missy told her friends that she didn't get much attention at home, so he was filling a void in her life. Phyllis stated she never saw a change in her. She said she had never been one to lie, and that's why she never saw what happened next coming. On the morning of April 17th, 1986, Missy left for school as normal, or so everyone thought. In truth, she met up with Jerry, and they left the state. Later on, Missy alluded to there being problems at home, and that's why she wanted to leave. I couldn't find details of what those problems were, and I don't want to dismiss the idea that maybe she was dealing with something but I also don't know if it was anything more than angsty teen emotions. Angsty teen emotions are valid, but not run away with a 25-year-old valid, as you said earlier. She told her friend Sherry Nix, who she met after she ran away, that the only people in her family she cared about were her brother and grandfather, and said that she left with Jerry because it was her first opportunity to get away. Sherry told unsolved mysteries that Missy said she'd been unhappy at home, but of her relationship with Jerry, Sherry said that she never saw them touch, kiss, or hold hands, which she thought was odd, but I say good because ew, yes. On the other hand, Sherry described Elmer de Boer as compassionate and understanding. During his stops at the station, she said he and Missy would talk. She had told Elmer she was going through a hard time, that she and Jerry didn't have much and it was hard to provide for their baby, and Elmer and Missy became good friends. According to an article in the Detroit Free Press, Robert and Phyllis last heard from Missy around Mother's Day in 1986, when they received a letter in which Robert told the Detroit Free Press she said, quote, not to worry about her that she was only 15 and knew we wouldn't let her have this man as a lover, and that she had run off with him, end quote. But that's, that is pretty normal teenager, I feel. Like, it's not that out of the ordinary, from what I understand, for a teenager to push back against their parents, based on what they think the parents will or will not allow. And what is not normal here is the adult. Uh-huh. In reality, Missy did not know the truth about Jerry Strickland. Strickland, who had fashioned himself as a philanthropist with a tragic backstory, was actually in violation of parole for a 1984 1-10 one to 10 year prison sentence in West Virginia after being convicted of grand larceny and writing bad checks. He had disappeared shortly after being released on parole in 1985. His wife and child were alive. In addition, Jerry had spent time in prison for raping his sister-in-law, slitting her throat, and leaving her for dead. Did she die? I don't think so. Okay, The next question. How was he ever free to interact with other people again after raping his sister-in-law and slitting her throat. I tried to find more information about this case on newspapers.com. I tried all different combinations of searching for his name in different states in years that seemed plausible, and I couldn't find anything at all, which I don't, you know, in the 1980s, I don't know that the newspapers would be reporting on a local rape But I can tell you that he was convicted of malicious assault. So a deeply lessened charge of what it sounds like he actually did. I'm not a fan of our air quotes justice system. I don't have the answers for what our society should do about people who commit violence. But there are just some things where like the gut instinct and I guess my socialization say this person should not be allowed around other humans again it should certainly be under more supervision but he bailed on his parole so you would with your with your history of working in re programs I'm sure you have a lot more finesse around this topic than I do <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but I, my you know, my my brain just screams like this. This person should. It all just has to be overhauled in a very major way. But that's not the story that we're talking about right now. Although it's an important one. It's an important conversation to have. Again, though, I don't have the answers. <laughs> I think that you would be fascinating in that conversation, though. Stop that face. I've heard you talk about jail programs before, and it is super cool. You sound like a badass, super smart boss, so. I have some thoughts, but they mostly come down to community building and cultivating compassion and teaching people that they are accountable for their actions. So what you're saying is you're more into prevention then punishment after the fact. Yeah, isn't that a wild idea? That is wild. But I think I need a couple hours just to try to explain the intricacies of my thoughts here. So, back to this solved mystery. Yes, <laughs> oh, something that's been solved unlike the horror of the so-called American justice system. While in Boonesboro, Strickland had been writing bad checks again, which might explain why he wanted to skip town, and Missy seized her chance. Missy and Jerry found themselves settling down in Springfield, Michigan. While there, they had a son who they named Jamie. Missy lied about her age to get a job as an assistant manager at the Union 76 gas station in Waterford Township. That's where she became friends with Elmer, who was a 38-year-old courier for Lehman Oil Company. Elmer was described as a kind, understanding, loving individual. He was beloved by his wife, Mary, and had three daughters, Patricia, Susan, and Anne. I wonder if that might be why he cared so much for Missy, too. If he had three daughters I met this young woman, really still a kid, even though she was saying she was 19 at this time. Maybe he felt fatherly towards her. He was just a good guy who wanted to help out. The episode really only talks about him very briefly, but makes him sound like an incredibly sweet person. So I'm glad to hear that your, your little bit extra background info on him uh, upholds that. Yeah. His obituary in the Detroit Free Press described him as a gentle, jovial man who lived for his family. I'm just so sad that he died. I'm so sad he got killed. It's really sad. It is. 100%. It's very tragic. In addition to his job at Lehman Oil Company, he was actually a carrier for the Detroit Free Press, so the newspaper felt very affected by his death, like they lost one of their own. So they did do a lot of coverage, which is what helped me to understand more about him as a person. As courier for Lehman Oil, Elmer would travel to gas stations in the area, picking up cash and receipts for the company. Missy knew that this meant he frequently had large amounts of cash on him, especially on Mondays, as there were no pickups on Sundays, and Missy's station was near the end of his route. On May 11th, 1987, the Union 76 where Missy worked was found abandoned, with the front door locked, and Elmer's company car in the parking lot. Inside, the safe was wide open, and $10,000 was missing. The next day, Two boys, headed to a fishing spot in Rose Township, around 20 miles from the gas station, came upon Elmer's body. He had been shot twice in the back of the head, from a distance of within three feet. Police became suspicious of Missy and Strickland when they discovered the two had skipped town the same day Elmer's body was found. They developed a theory that Strickland had planned the crime using information he got from Missy. The police believed that Strickland surprised Elmer with a gun when he opened the safe and handcuffed him to Missy, pretending to take them both hostage and leading him out to the woods. What's heartbreaking is that because Elmer was her friend, it's believed he would have gone along without a fight if he was worried about Missy's safety. Detective Sergeant Bailey says in the segment that Elmer would have done whatever was necessary if he believed he was protecting her. So sad. As law enforcement descended on the gruesome scene in the marshy field, Strickland and Missy were purchasing a truck from a used car dealership in Pontiac, Michigan, using cash, all in small bills. The dealer who helped them told the police Missy had chatted with him for two hours while Strickland left to buy insurance which was significant in shifting the investigator's understanding of the situation. Until now, due to his prior charges, police and Missy's family wondered if he had kidnapped her. But after being seen willingly staying with Strickland, police shifted to believing she was an accomplice. They reasoned that if she was a hostage left alone with the salesman for two hours, she would have asked for help. I think that's something that they're not considering here, and maybe it wasn't something that they thought about much in the 80s anyway, is that he had been doing, he had been raising her. She's a child. He'd been raising her for over a year. Yeah. He had been shaping her into who she was. And I have experience being in a relationship with someone where I don't push back against things that they do because I'm afraid to. And so things start to escalate, and I'm so accustomed to not pushing back that eventually they they can get away with just about anything. I'm not saying I've been in a relationship with a murderer, <laughs> um, but somebody who managed to drive a wedge between me and my best friend, who also happens to be the number one host of this podcast. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's not as extreme as... What happened in this situation, but I just know what it's like to be, I know what it's like to be so gaslighted that you just don't know yourself anymore. Yeah, I, I totally think Missy's a victim in this. Uh, she is a child who's a victim to a manipulative adult who has shown himself willing to lie and physically hurt other people. So Detective Sergeant Don Bailey came to believe, quote, she's as guilty as Jerry Strickland, even though she didn't pull the trigger, end quote. But I can't say I agree with that. No, I can't get behind that either. Yeah. I just wonder to what extent she was scared. And I think it's unfortunate that the detectives didn't consider that. In the segment, Missy's friend Sherry said, quote, It was hard to believe that someone that sweet could do something like that. And it wasn't just me who thought she was sweet. It was everyone, End quote. But she goes on to say that they were phonies. And that if they could do what they did to Elmer, who was a nice, caring friend of Missy's, what else had they done? And what else could they do? Missy's family, of course, was shocked to hear that she might be willingly involved. Strickland was wanted for fraud, robbery, kidnap, and murder, and Missy was wanted for questioning. And that's where things stood the day the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired, on February 5th, 1988. That evening... Police in Moses Lake, Washington, received between 15 and 20 calls from people who recognized Jerry and Missy. When police arrived to arrest the two of them, they found their apartment empty. It so happened that amongst those watching the segment were Missy and Jerry themselves. Wow. Can you imagine seeing yourself on Unsolved Mysteries? (laughs) For one, I would be honored. For two... (laughs) I would be horrified because I definitely didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't long, however, before they were arrested at the house of friends and neighbors, Juan and Penny Ibarra. Apparently, they had considered fleeing, but asked for advice from the Ibarras, who encouraged them to turn themselves in. When the police arrived, they were expecting them. While Missy and Strickland were held in the local jail, the Abatas cared for their son, Jamie. Missy was 17 years old and three or four months pregnant with their second child. The timing of the Unsolved Mysteries episode was fortuitous, it turned out, because according to a Detroit Free Press article, Missy and Jerry were in the process of leaving Moses Lake. Missy had put in notice at her job as a hotel maid, and the day before the segment aired, they had sold all of their belongings as they prepared to move to Virginia to help Strickland's brother run a flower shop. Also watching the segment was Mary, Elmer DeBoer's wife, and two of their daughters. She recalled to the Detroit Free Press that a police detective called, and I'll quote Mary because we don't hear much from her and I wanted to amplify her voice and experience, quote, he said, Mary we've got them. I started crying. I really couldn't tell you how I felt. I told him I couldn't talk no more and I'd call him back. I wanted them found. Bad. It matters a lot that they've been caught, because maybe they won't get a chance to do it to someone else. What they did to Elmer was just senseless. There was no reason for it at all. They could have let him go. They had the money. Why did they have to do this to him? End quote. Initially, both Jerry and Missy claimed they were innocent. The Spokesman Review reported that Strickland said they were hiding from her parents, not the law, because her parents were strict and didn't allow her to spend time with friends. Okay. So how was she using friends as an excuse to see him if she wasn't allowed to see friends? That's my question. Jerry. (laughs) Detective Sergeant Don Bailey was seeking a waiver to have Missy tried as an adult for murder, which should never happen. A child is not an adult, period. But Missy wound up agreeing to a plea deal that dropped the murder and kidnapping charges in exchange for her testimony against Strickland. She testified that she had helped plan the robbery, sharing what she knew about Elmer's route and pickup schedule, but hadn't known of Jerry's plan to murder Elmer and didn't see him die. She claimed Strickland had confessed to her about shooting Elmer a couple months after the murder. She stated he told her, quote, In case anything should ever happen, I think you ought to know that I did it. End quote. That, I think that, as long as it's true, Really answers a lot of questions around her um, her chat with the car dealer. Mm-hmm. If it's true, then that speaks against the insinuation that she was a cold callous killer who was just as involved right in the the murder. Mm-hmm. Um, if she didn't know that Elmer was dead, then she's just again, a child who thinks mm-hmm. she just got away with something exciting. Or not even exciting, she is a child with a child, and they just sold $10,000, and maybe she just sees an opportunity to pr- provide for her baby. I mean, I, by exciting, I mean, like, she's getting the, the resources, life might be different now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Missy told the court, and I don't, I feel uncomfortable even repeating this part, but it's from the newspapers. She reported that Strickland bought a van in preparation for the kidnapping and had originally planned to handcuff her and Elmer together, as theorized, take them to the woods, hit Elmer over the head, and rape her. What? Yeah. What? Why? Why that last part? Why any of it? But this she- told them that this was his plan that he told her and she agreed to why that would have been part of the plan when elmer has been hit over the head is just really disturbing it's horrifying according to missy's testimony strickland wound up luring elmer to his van and taking him without missy oh strickland told her that he had left him handcuffed to a tree Apparently, Missy's story changed more than once, but she insisted that that was because she had been trying to protect Strickland, and that this story was the truth. Why she was trying to protect Strickland after he admitted having murdered him is a little bit beyond me. So initially, Strickland had been planning to fight extradition back to Michigan to be tried for the murder, but when he heard Missy was not going to fight to be extradited, he decided not to as well because he believed that they would get away with what they'd done and that he and Missy would remain together. But the Herald Palladium reported in 1989 that a 35 year old mother of three was planning to marry him. What? <laughs> Again, what? The paper reported that the two had been acquaintances in Moses Lake, and he reached out and started communicating with her just after he was sent back to Michigan. On murder charges, by the way. She, who is named in the paper, but I decided not to include it because I don't think they actually got married, and I doubt she wants to be associated with this if she's still alive, she's quoted as saying that he was better than all the creeps in Moses Lake. I'm so sorry. But he's a mega creep. He is creepier than all the creeps in Moses Lake. He's just better at it. And she hoped to marry by phone or proxy, as she couldn't afford to go to Michigan. I don't understand people. Mm -mm. Strickland was found guilty of robbery, kidnapping, and first-degree murder on August 22, 1988. He received two life sentences without the possibility of parole. He remains in Thumb Correctional Facility in Michigan, and he's only 59 years old. Missy was tried in juvenile court, as it should be, for armed robbery. She was convicted and sentenced to two years of detention at a place called Children's Village, which sounds disturbing. That sounds really creepy. She ultimately served seven months before being released at nineteen because of a state law that forbade holding her past age nineteen, and moved back in with her parents and two children. Okay, well, I really hope that she had someone like you there, uh, putting together her release package when she got out to, uh, I don't know, help that- her ad- adjust to a a life outside of detention and be a person that functions within society. The Detroit Free Press reported that she earned her high school diploma and planned to move to West Virginia with the two-year-old Jamie. Strangely, the second child wasn't mentioned in this article. Hmm. I truly hope that Melissa Monday figured her shit out and created a good life for her and her children and takes deliberate action to spread goodness in the world today. Why West Virginia? I don't know. I couldn't find anything more about her after her release really i would imagine she would try her best to vanish into obscurity Mm -hmm. but i just hope that whatever she was doing in west virginia continued to offer her support and get her in the right track Mm -hmm. i also gotta wonder what her relationship with her family was like after all of this She moved into a trailer park with her mom and dad after being released. So they had a relationship. What was it like? I can't tell you, but it had to be awkward. (laughs) According to the Detroit Free Press, Mary DeBoer was interviewed for the Unsolved Mysteries segment, but her parts were cut out. That's too bad. Yeah, I would like an explanation from 1987 Unsolved Mysteries. Please email me and let me know why you cut out Mary DeBoer's interview. And if you still have it on some sort of... If you still have it on some VHS somewhere. <laughs> After the verdict was read, Mary wept and told the Detroit Free Press, quote, I can't say I'm glad it's over because it will never be over for me, end quote. That's the story of Elmer DeBoer. Missy Monday, and creepy-ass Jerry Strickland. Thank you, truly, for joining us. I always say that, and I really mean it. I want you to know that, dear listener. She really does want you to know that. And mean it! (laughs) (laughs) I really do mean it. And thank you also to our dear friend Raven for our music. I haven't said that enough. So appreciative to Raven. Indeed. And link up with us on Instagram. We're at you solved a mystery. You can email us at YouSolvedAMystery at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Once again, I'm Athena. And I'm Chandra. Join us next time for another episode of You Solved a Mystery.